Small groups, it's a great way to connect with people, to grow with others in Jesus. You don't need to know everyone here, but you need to know someone, and someone needs to know you. Small groups, sign up. Um, Next week, we start our fall series. We'll be studying 1 Peter, so some of you like to get ahead. Maybe during the week, you want to be reading Peter's first letter. We'll start that series next weekend. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and the title of the message is Living in an Anxious World. Living in an Anxious World. Jesus, three times in this passage, he says, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. Clear command, do not be anxious. And maybe you hear that and you say, well, what do you mean, Jesus? (laughs) My semester just began. I'm taking six courses. Each professor thinks that his or her course is the only course that I'm taking. Look at all the work I have to do. What do you mean? Don't be anxious. Or maybe you think, well, my salary has not increased for five years. Cost of living just keeps going up. I've got a pile of bills in front of me. What do you mean don't be anxious? Or maybe you're working and parenting at the same time and sometimes you go home and your kids are fighting and your spouse appears to be a bit disengaged and you say, Jesus, what do you mean don't be anxious? Or take me, for example. You know, the fall semester is beginning and so the pastoral team is meeting and planning and all kinds of good stuff. But I've got to prepare a sermon. And so as the week proceeds and it's, you know, I see the deadline in front of me, 3 p.m. Thursday, I'm becoming more and more anxious and I'm preparing a message on anxiety. (laughs) Anxiety is prevalent in our society. I believe all of you experienced anxiety on some level this week. Everyone experiences it. The um, Anxiety Anxiety Disorders Association of Canada estimates that 12% of Canadians will experience an anxiety disorder, like panic disorder or post-traumatic disorder or social phobia or obsessive-compulsive disorder. Now, you may not experience anxiety on that level, but on some level, you will experience anxiety. We all do. That's one of the reasons why that song by Bobby McFerrin was such a hit. Don't worry, be happy. (laughs) What is anxiety? Well, there's a positive form of anxiety, the kind of anxiety that just gets us ready for something that's going to happen. For example, maybe there's a job interview in front of you, and so because of that positive form of anxiety, you actually get ready. (laughs) Or there's an exam that you're preparing for. Because of a positive form of anxiety, you actually prepare. But in the text that we're going to read, Jesus is talking about a more negative form of anxiety, the kind of anxiety that expresses, you know, an uneasy emotion, worry, Stress, it's a stressful reaction to an unknown outcome, an unfamiliar situation, the future that's unknown. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is referring to these feelings that are often accompanied by restlessness, pacing the floor, sleeplessness, that kind of anxious feeling, muscular tension, fatigue, uh, an inability to concentrate. And these feelings are often accompanied by physical symptoms like headaches and and nausea and trembling. 
When we're anxious, we often overreact to a situation. We're given to irrational thought. One author refers to anxiety as just a meteor of white what ifs. What ifs. So what did Jesus mean when he said, do not be anxious? To understand what he's talking about, we need to read the text, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and understand something about the context. So let's read it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Every time that Jesus says, do not be anxious in this text, It's preceded by therefore. And so we need to ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore, we need to look at previous teaching in this text. In the verses prior to verse 25, Jesus, he talks about three movements of the heart. Chapter 6, verse 19. Here we have the first movement. Chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus, he just takes it for granted that all human beings are seekers. We are all looking for something. We are looking for security. We are looking for meaning in life. We're just wired that way. That's the way that we have been created. He says that our hearts always follow our treasure. So the key is, what are we treasuring? If we have set our hearts on earthly treasure, and earthly treasure by its nature is corroding, it is passing, it will be destroyed. If that's where we have set our hearts, then we cannot help but be anxious. Now to the second movement, chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? We all see life in a certain way. We assess people circumstances, situations, through a lens. 
The good news is if we've surrendered our hearts to Jesus, then the Father has sent the Holy Spirit to abide within us, and we're actually enabled to see life in a new way. We can actually live single-minded, focused on God and the things of his kingdom. But if we allow our hearts to wander and we give ourselves to earthly treasure, we become double-minded, confused, greedy, and we will never be satisfied. We'll be given to anxiety. Then there's a third movement, chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word for money there, of course, is mammon. And mammon means, the root of the word is, what do you put your confidence in? What do you trust in? So, your heart, it cannot live for God and something else at the same time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that our hearts are capable of one all-embracing devotion. We can't serve God and money. We can't serve ourselves and serve God. If we've chosen treasure in heaven, if we've chosen God in his kingdom, we can expect to experience the peace of God. But if our hearts are set on ourselves or on earthly treasure, we will experience anxiety. Let me say that in another way. If we're making bad heart decisions, if we're going for earthly treasure that never satisfies, if we're double-minded in our allegiance to Christ, if we have essentially put our trust in ourselves, we will be given to anxiety. But if we have set our hearts on God, then we can expect something different. So maybe we're ready to hear Jesus' command now. Let's go to chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus could have written these words this morning. Just look at the ads on the SkyTrain or in the newspaper if you picked it up, or on social media. People love food, drink, and clothing. They always have. And Jesus, he asks this rhetorical question. He argues from the greater to the lesser. He says, if God has gifted you with life and a body worth far so much more than food and clothing, won't he provide food and clothing? In other words, if God has gifted you with life, which is so precious, won't he sustain that life? Jesus then gives two examples. And in giving these examples, he argues from the lesser to the greater. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So look at the birds. In Luke chapter 12, which is a parallel passage, it says, look at the ravens. Jesus asks us, it's actually a command, consider, observe well, ponder the birds around you. The implication is, if you just stop focusing on your anxious thoughts, stop for a minute and ponder the world around you, you'll see things differently. You'll see what you're forgetting. So I decided to be obedient, and uh, I went and observed some crows. Find crows everywhere, right? 
So observing some crows, I noticed that they don't sit there and wait for God to throw food into their beaks. They're actually active birds. They're finding stuff. They make nests. They take care of their young. They're survivors. You find them all over the world. They prefer the grasslands, but they also like Burnaby. (laughs) So in fall or winter, if you go down to Still Creek, there are about three to 6,000 crows hanging out there, the crow's roost. If you're missing crows, just go down to Still Creek. But it's interesting. They're intelligent birds. They don't look like they're worried. They actually have a bit of an attitude. Crows. Jesus says, just stop. Quit focusing on your anxious thoughts and look at the crows for a while. We're to observe God's providential care. D.A. Carson says, God is so sovereign over the universe that even the feeding of a wren falls within his concern. And so in light of that care, we're to ask the question, aren't we of more value than they? And of course, that kind of reflection, it demands a biblical worldview. A worldview where God has created human beings in his image to reflect his glory, and he loves us so much that he sent his very own son to die for us. Jesus The Son of God says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Anxiety will not add hours to our lives. Anxiety will probably shorten our lives. Anxiety. My wife, she is convinced that human beings were not made to fly. So when we get on an airplane, she is immediately a bit nervous. As the plane goes down the runway, she grabs my hand. By the time the plane is taking off, you know, leaving the runway, my hand is white. (laughs) I say, honey, your nails are now in my skin. (laughs) She doesn't want to hear me talk about it. She doesn't want to see me relaxing beside her. She doesn't want to hear a joke. She doesn't want anybody to say anything. Doesn't want anyone to move. She is anxious. Now, a question for you. Does her anxiety ensure the success of that flight? She would say yes. But does her anxiety, seriously, have any impact on how far that plane is going to go? Does it add a second to the flight? No. The only good thing is that as she sits there in her anxiety, she's confessing all of her sins. And so if the plane does crash, she's ready to meet Jesus. (laughs) Put her on your prayer list. Her name is Judy. (laughs) Anxiety. Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So again, Jesus gives us a command. Consider the lilies of the field. Lilies, uh, they're perennials, they're bulbs. 
And so just a little bit of warmth, sunshine, soil, water, and a lily will grow. They grow in Europe, North America, Asia. And they don't grow because of some wearisome effort. It just happens because that is the way God has created them to be. Even Solomon, the richest, the most extravagant of Israelite rulers, was not arrayed like one of those lilies, Jesus says. In verse 30, Jesus refers to the grass of the field. Now, grass, it covers about one quarter of our earth's surface. It's a miraculous plant. Again, just some warmth, some sunshine, water. It'll grow in the Arctic. It'll grow in the tropics. It'll grow in a desert. Because it grows from this protected part at the base of its stem, there can even be a fire, a wildfire through the region. The grass will burn But because it grows from that protected part, as soon as the fire is extinguished, it'll come back. It repairs and reproduces itself. It's almost indestructible. So the word is disciples. If you're looking in the direction of your anxious thoughts, you're actually looking in the wrong direction. Consider the birds of the air. Observe the lilies of the field. Don't you realize that the God who cares for his creation cares for you, his very own children? By implication, we are to ask ourselves a question. What is reality? Which is the real world? Is it the world of our anxious thoughts or the world imaged by birds and lilies? Which is the real world? The world of our anxieties or the world imaged by birds and lilies. You know, to uproot our anxieties around food and clothing, to dethrone our anxieties around earthly treasure and mammon, we need more than a series of commands to not be anxious. We need to see in a new way. We need to see in a fundamentally new way. We need to believe in something more, something deeper, something more profound, something more foundational. We need to trust in God himself. Jesus says to his disciples, oh, you of little faith. And so the problem is not an absence of faith. No, they have some faith, but it's deficient faith. And the fundamental question for us is, in whom do you trust? In whom do we trust? Are we trusting in ourselves or are we trusting in God? If life has become my, if my life has become my treasure, my well-being, my status, my power, my comfort, if my heart is set on earthly treasure, if I'm greedy for more, if my heart is what I have put my trust in, if I'm just living to serve myself, then I can expect anxiety. You see, there's a problem in our society and I believe this is at the core of why we see increasing levels of anxiety in our society. We live in a world where the overwhelming majority have dismissed 
the existence of a God who has created us, who actually is sovereign over all things. And so people more and more are just depending on themselves in isolation. And none of us were ever created to serve as gods. We are incapable of being gods in our own lives. And so as we become more self-centered and more godless, we are experiencing increasing levels of anxiety. We're trying to be something we were never created to be. At the root of all anxiety is unbelief. Whenever I experience anxiety, even when I'm preparing a sermon, it's because at some level I'm not trusting the Lord. If we're trusting God, however, all of life is bathed by grace. Michael Jr., he's a professional comedian. He does some of the best comedy clubs in the States. He goes to prisons as well. So one day he was going to a maximum security prison, and he was a bit nervous. He wanted to be funny in there, but he didn't want to be too funny. He didn't want to offend anyone, so he wasn't even sure what he should say, and he didn't have his opening line. So as he's going to the maximum security prison, he's just praying, God, give me a line. He gets to the room where the inmates have gathered. Uh, He's going through security, and the guard says, give me your belt. And now he's nervous. He says, what about my pants? They're going to fall down. So the guard takes his belt. He says, I have to take your belt because they may hang you. Now he's really nervous. (laughs) Still praying, God help me. So he's walking by the inmates. He's going to the front. And as he turns to the front of the audience, he sees a man with a long white beard. And he says, thank you, God. Or he says to himself, thank you, God. He turns to that man and he says, Moses, go to the warden, look him straight in the eye, and say, let my people go. (laughs) And the place bursts into laughter. Even a stand-up comedian that trusts Jesus can experience God's care. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let me just open our parenthesis here. A couple of words of caution. One, Jesus, when he says, do not be anxious, he's not saying, just sit back, God will provide. That's not what he's saying. There may be days when, you know, food is provided miraculously for us by an angel, but most days it comes from farmers and butchers and grocers and gardeners. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Again, when Jesus says do not be anxious, he's not discouraging thought. There's nothing here that would lead us to not plan for the future or to not take care of our families. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Don't think. Don't think of the future. But he is saying, don't be anxious. So let's get to the heart of the matter. Chapter 6, verse 31. 
Look at what Jesus says. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first, his king, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus uses the word Gentiles. That refers to all peoples on earth. All people around the earth are running after food, drink, and clothing. They're running after these things. Your father, he knows that you need all these things. He knows about all of it. Not just some of it. He knows about all of it. So if we're disciples of Jesus, then we can actually live differently. We need to know who our father is. And so who is he? Well, if we look at the context again, chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The Father knows what you need before you ask. Ask him. So prayer is not this negotiation with God. You're not twisting his arm. You have a good father who is present. He's not aloof. He's not distant. He's present and he's aware and he cares. You are family. You're a son. You're a daughter. The Apostle John writes in 1 John, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? And so we are. Jesus, he teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven. Our Father. He could have started the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that he taught to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. He could have started with, uh, sovereign ruler, creator. And the Jews of his day would have begun their prayers in that way. But Jesus, he begins with, our Father. As the Son of God, he's opening a whole way of of relating to God to his disciples. He wants his disciples to experience what he experiences in his intimate relationship with the Father. He wants their relationship with the Father to be alive, to be full. And so he teaches them to pray, our Father. And our Father is in heaven. He is not just good and caring. He's actually reigning over all things. He is sovereign over all things. He is all powerful. So we have this beautiful picture of a tender, loving, present Father who is also all powerful and reigning. He's not only good, he is great. He not only loves us, but he has the power to respond. The truth of who our Father is changes everything. Some of you may have not had uh, a good father, your earthly father. God has graced my life with a really good father. So I was thinking about my father this week. And I realized that I have never worried about my dad's finances. I'm not a very good son. Maybe I should have. But I have never worried about my dad's finances. He's turning 90 next month, and I'm still not worried about my dad. Funny. I find that I worry about my own finances. I find that I worry about my children. Now, interesting. My children do not worry about my finances. (laughs) 
You notice that? They always think I have money. When they were in university, I would get these kinds of texts. Like, it's noon. Text comes in. Dad, I need $1,000 for tuition by 4 p.m. <laughs> Love you, Dad. Don't forget. <laughs> Why do they think that I can make that happen? But isn't it interesting that I don't worry about my father and my children don't worry about me? Now... If we as fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, just imagine the tenderness, the love, the compassion, the power, the resources of our Father in heaven. He knows all of our needs, and He not only knows our needs, He's able to answer, to provide. That's why Jesus says with full confidence in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If we run after God and his righteousness, all these things will be added. So what does that mean? What, What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom is present to the extent that Christ reigns. To the extent that Christ reigns in my life or your life, the kingdom is present. To the extent that Christ reigns in a a group, a family, a church, the kingdom is present. To the extent that Christ reigns in a city, on a continent, in the world, the kingdom is present. We pray for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness. And it's good and right to pray in that way. And that will happen when Christ returns in glory to establish his reign. And so we yearn for that day. But while we live now, we pray for the kingdom to come. And as more and more people yield their lives to Jesus, the kingdom of God is extended. They come to know God. They come to know their good, good father. They experience salvation. When we pray for the kingdom of God to come, often our minds quickly go to municipal hall or to the provincial legislature or to the house of commons. But when a person prays, God, may your kingdom come, God most often begins in the life of that person that is praying. And as they pray and worship the Father, they yield their lives, they yield their relationships, their marriages, their homes, their tax returns, their bank balances, their citizenship. They yield it all to the Father because they know that he is good and they trust him to answer and the kingdom comes and you begin to see differently and you seek his righteousness and you remember what Jesus said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that the blessed in the kingdom are the poor in spirit, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. But the blessed in the kingdom are those that are like the Father, they tell the truth. They love their neighbors. They also love their enemies. They don't hold others in contempt. They don't harbor anger. These people of the kingdom, they're like the Father in their character and the way that they relate to other people. They're seeking God, his kingdom, and his righteousness. They're becoming like the Father. Jesus, he really simplifies the issue for us. The heart of the matter, what are you running after? It's the heart of the matter for me and for you. What are we really running after? 
And there are only two possible life goals or two possible ambitions. We are preoccupied with ourselves, with our food, our drink, our clothing, or we are preoccupied with God and the advance of his kingdom. And there is no third alternative. The implication is if you want to be concerned about something, be concerned about God and his kingdom. John Stott has written, ambitions for God can never be modest. There is something inherently inappropriate about cherishing small ambitions for God. There is something inherently inappropriate about cherishing small ambitions for God. God is always worthy of more glory and honor and praise. And so we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And with that perspective now, understanding who the Father is, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Changes everything. Jesus is speaking to first century laborers there in Matthew chapter 6, and they lived day to day. They received their wages at the end of the day. And so imagine what illness would mean for them. There is no social security net. To them, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Bread, it symbolizes all that we need for life. Food, drink, clothing, a place to live. We have really tangible needs. And the good news, the Father knows. Every day is his day. We can pray without anxiety, without fear. If we are seeking God and his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. And Jesus sums up the whole passage in chapter 6, verse 34 with this. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus doesn't say that we won't experience trouble, misfortune. As disciples of Jesus, we're not exempt from the troubles of this world. But in the midst of misfortune, we don't need to be anxious because of who our Father is. He's with us. He promises to be with us, to never leave leave us. So Jesus is saying, worry, it's actually a waste of time. It just doubles the trouble. He asks a really common sense question. Isn't one day at a time enough? Isn't one day at a time enough? One of our members, I'll call him Peter, That's a good name to call somebody if you don't know what to call him. Call him Peter or Paul, but we'll call him Peter. So he's been following Jesus for a number of years, and this week he lost his wallet. Have any of you ever lost your wallet? Only a couple of you. I don't think you people are speaking the truth. (laughs) We've all lost stuff. So he lost his wallet. He went to buy some insurance And uh, when he went back to his car, he had the dog and his wallet, maybe a few other things. The wallet, he didn't know it, but it fell. He got into his car and went home. And when he got home, he realized, okay, wallet's gone. Uh, A little bit anxious. Talks to his wife. Have you seen the wallet? No. She says, honey, just go for a ride and uh, I'll, I'll find the wallet for you. 
So he goes up the, um, the highway and he's looking at creation and he's just thankful for how beautiful the world is, comes home and his wife has not found the wallet. So now the anxiety returns, like, I need my wallet. And he's thinking about the wallet and he just kind of prays, um, God, I'm not, I'm not sure I should ask you for this favor. I'm not sure you, you care about wallets. But it would be really nice if I could find my wallet. End of the afternoon, the doorbell rings. And as soon as it rings, he just senses there's blessing here. He opens the door and there's a woman standing there. And she says, does Peter live here? And he says, yeah. She says, I have his wallet. And she said, you know, this morning I was working at the insurance office and, and I saw you getting into your car and the wallet fell on the ground and I couldn't get out there in time and you were gone. But I paid attention and a young man came up and picked up the wallet. He was going through your wallet. So I went out there and I said, that's my wallet. (laughs) And the young guy said, no, actually it's my dad's wallet. And she says, no, that is my wallet. So she got the wallet back, had to finish her shift. At the end of the day, she drives to Peter's house and rings the doorbell. Peter, I've got your wallet. And Peter wanted to just bless her. Thank you for bringing my wallet. He wanted to pay her back. And she says, no, I just wanted to bless somebody today. Now, question for you. The God that we serve, does he just care about the big events happening in history? You know, he's got it all in his hands. He's thinking just about the big things, but he doesn't actually see you and your needs. What Jesus is saying in this passage is, look at the birds. Look at the lilies. God cares for them. If God cares for the crows down on Still Creek, doesn't he care for you? You were created in his image. You're his children. He is a good, good father. And he's not only good, he is great, he is able to answer. And so when we pray a prayer for a wallet to be found, before we even ask, God is active, he is acting, he knows. That's what Jesus says. That's why he says, don't be anxious. Your father knows, he's present, he is with you, and he is able. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, the the reality is that you are a good, good Father, and we are frail and weak, and we do experience anxiety. And despite our anxiety, thank you, Lord, that you continue to draw us to yourself. And you tenderly say to us, do not be anxious. And so, Lord, you know what we need to surrender today. And right now, I just invite you um, to answer this question. What do you need to entrust to Jesus today? What do you need to give over to Jesus today? And the answer to that question is probably the answer to this question. What are you anxious about?
So maybe you need to entrust your life for the first time. You're concerned about your relationship with God, about your eternal destiny. Well, then give your heart to Jesus. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship, your marriage, your family, your children. Maybe it's your job, your finances. Maybe it's what's happening in the world today. You're just concerned because things seem crazy. Whatever it is, give it over to the Father. So, Father, we praise you. We thank you. Lord, may this word that you that was spoken by your son, Jesus, may it rest in our hearts today. May it grant us clarity to think and to live the way you would have us think and live, Jesus. And now I pray over your people. Lord, bless them, keep them. May your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. May your, lift up your countenance upon them, Lord, and give them peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.